Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. Welcome to the July 6th edition, uh, the first day of July here. So we're happy to have all of you uh, on the show tonight. Uh, we want to welcome uh, all of our guests who may be uh, joining us uh, from the Weather Pros as well. I know they've been sharing, sharing the information as well. So uh, if you're first time to our show, we welcome you tonight. And I just want to give you a little housekeeping stuff before we start the show tonight. This is a live broadcast, so if you do have any questions, uh, feel free to send them our way via Twitter. You can uh, tweet us at Carolina WX Group. Uh, send those via Twitter or on our Facebook page, and we'll be able to um, ask those throughout the show. And if you're listening on the podcast, uh, we'll have our guests share their uh, social media outlets with you uh, towards the end of the show and that way you can reach out to them uh, via that way as well. So kind of a uh, light panel tonight. Uh, Ricky Matthews and Kit and Peter are all off on vacation. Somehow James, David, and I didn't get the memo. <laughs> but uh, it, it's okay. It'll be our turn soon. Right, boys? Yep. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we hope those guys are enjoying their time off this week and uh I know Ricky's been doing some stuff there in the Charlotte area, so catching up with some college roommates. So uh, pretty cool stuff there. And uh, as you were probably aware, here in the North Carolina, South Carolina area, even up into Virginia and Tennessee, uh, we have some uh, thunderstorms moving into the area, so we'll occasionally uh, uh, keep an eye on those. And if anything uh, crazy is happening, we'll make sure to, uh, uh, to uh, kind of alert you if you're watching. That's actually... Looking at that radar screen there, James, there's a nice little outflow boundary there in the uh, Rutherford McDowell County area, which is where I'm located. So they have some thunderstorms popping here in just a little bit where I'm at. But uh, anyways, before that, let's uh, go ahead and toss it over to our panelists before we uh, bring in our guests tonight. I'm going to start first up in the Charlottesville, Virginia area with uh, Mr. David Reese. David, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm hanging in there. How are you fellas doing tonight? Ah, we're doing good, trying to uh, cool off from the, the hot temperatures. Oh, you're telling me, on uh, July 4th, two days ago, we had a high of 72 degrees that we hit actually at like 11.59. That was the, that was a high. And then yesterday, we were with 90 degrees, humidity out the wazoo, dew points in the low to mid-70s all day long, a straight shower thunderstorm out there. More of the same today. I'm looking at our sky cam now, seeing a beautiful uh, sunset. As of 8 o'clock, it was 84 degrees, dew point of 74, which still gave us a heat index at 8 o'clock at night of 91 degrees. So welcome to summer here in central Virginia. And we're looking at it. even warmer conditions as we get into your Friday and Saturday, and then uh, lower humidity finally uh, moves back on in as we get into early next work week, which I'm looking forward to. Grew up in Florida, lived in Columbus, Georgia for a number of years. I'm tired of the heat and humidity, so at least it w decided to w wait until r really after July 4th to move on in, so can't complain about that too, too much. Yeah, how, how hard are you guys expecting towards the end of the week? Uh, I'm going officially about 95 or so, 95, 96, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, that's it's somewhat tougher to get us into the uh, upper 90s, closer to 100 degrees around here. Kind of need a little bit drier air. So, of course, Euro has 850s at about 18 to 21 Celsius. GFS has 850s at about 22 to 24 Celsius, which would put us closer to 100. So, uh, mid 90s, safe bet. So. 
Yeah, definitely. And uh, before I bring James in, I totally uh, was looking through my messages and I forgot to say that Shay is actually um, off speaking um, to a kiteboarding group tonight about weather and wind and how it affects my kiteboarders along the coast. So that is, uh, Shay's not on vacation. He's actually, uh, we've allowed him to go work off-site and, and we'll make sure he gets his paycheck in the next uh, couple of weeks. So anyways, before that, let's go down to the uh, south side of Charlotte with Mr. James Briarton. James? Hey, Scotty. Uh, I'm going to leave radar scope up for just a moment. Uh, combine this with uh, my local weather update here. Just kind of taking a look at the uh, the western half of North Carolina. And uh, sure enough, there's that outflow boundary you were talking about just a second ago coming to your neck of the woods, but also monitoring some of these storms that are back on the Tennessee side of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, the National Weather Service there in Morristown actually just commented in, in chat that uh, a dangerous situation across Greene County, uh, and that's uh, kind of right in here, I think, is the uh, the severe thunderstorm that they are looking at here, where they actually are monitoring 70-mile-per-hour winds and uh, three-quarter size hail uh, with that warning. So uh, I guess we will wait to see if these storms hold it together when they come across the mountains, and if they do, Scotty? The pleasure will be all yours to see uh, exactly what they do once they make it across the mountains there. You're still muted, Scotty. I should have muted myself. I'll let you know what happens. Uh, we actually had a round of severe thunderstorms affect the area yesterday. Uh, just in the county that I'm in right now, where our office is located, McDowell County, we had 68 reports of damage and wind, and those were all in different locations throughout the county. The county right uh, next to us in Burke County, I think, had around 50 damage, uh, wind damage reports, so uh, pretty robust uh, severe thunderstorm that moved through that area. And one picture I just want to show you, I'm going to have to get to the Facebook over here, so bear with me for just a second, and I want to show you. Uh, one of the craziest things that I saw all day yesterday or evening was this is a power pole that is um, is pretty well into the ground. I can't remember what the company said, like six, seven feet. I'm not an expert in that, but uh, so the ground's in, the power pole is into the ground, and and this picture kind of looks a little distorted, but that power pole was pushed a good three to four inches from the wind. Uh, no car had hit it, uh, no tree had moved it. Uh, this was just a sheer force of of the wind. So. I did talk with the National Weather Service in uh, Greenville-Spartanburg last evening around the uh, 9.30, uh, 10 o'clock time frame, and they were estimating wind gusts between 80 to 85 miles per hour with a, a microburst, actually a series of microbursts, um, once the uh, warning coordinator meteorologist, um, Tony Story, uh, contacted us this morning, kind of looking over all of their data down there. So kind of a series of microbursts affected western North Carolina, creating a lot of damage. So... Uh, we're looking at another round that James was talking about, uh, moving into the mountains now, and uh, looking at the radar here, it looks like uh, maybe not as uh, as damaging as last night, but a lot of uh, folks still without power and, and with tree damage in their yards, so uh, definitely. And there was certainly a brunt of storm, and looking at the storm reports even today that affected portions of Georgia uh, from Macon through Augusta, then into Aiken, South Carolina, through Columbia, and that, that central part of the state, and uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that the, the line of thunderstorms coming at North Carolina now kind of dies down, because there's a, a line of uh, trees down storm reports back behind those, and hopefully once they kind of hit that terrain, they'll fall apart, and we'll find out here in the next few minutes, Scotty. Yeah, definitely we will, and uh, you know it's just tis the season to uh, severe thunderstorms move through the Carolinas. So, uh, with that, let's uh, bring in our guests tonight. We have uh, two guys on from the Weather Pros, and uh, 
very cool group that they do up there. They do a lot of uh, contracting work for different uh, companies and, and provide different forecasts, and we'll get into that tonight. But I want to bring on uh, Rob Garino, uh, the CEO and founder of the Weather Pros, as well as Dean Davidson, who is the Storm Verif Verification Manager uh, with the Weather Pros. So, Rob and Dean, welcome to the show. And I guess our first question to you, and uh, we'll toss it to you, Rob, first. Kind of talk to us about uh, your your interest in weather, how you got hooked into weather, and and how your weather career has brought you to where you are right now. Well, I uh, thanks, Scotty, and thanks for having us on the show. We appreciate it. Uh, heard some good things about you guys, and I'm trying to see what ball game's on behind you in the corner there, but fill me in. That is uh, that is the Texas Rangers and Boston Red Sox. We. Uh, one of uh, our groups, we do weather coverage for a minor league team from the Texas Rangers, so we, we try to keep up with them as, as much as we oh, can. Oh, good, good. Yeah, we were just Rob, at Fenway last week at a show. Awesome. Rob, Rob, the Mets already already won today, so we're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, actually, I'm a Phillies fan, so uh, you know, it's not not a what? any long lost love between the Mets and the Phillies. Even though <laughs> uh, spent most of my uh, life, even though I was born in Brooklyn, I spent. Most of my life growing up in the Philadelphia area uh, over in South Jersey. But um, uh, going back to what you guys said, uh, what we do is we're a pretty dynamic company. We, um, we do weather for a lot of landscapers, snowplow companies, roofers, construction, uh, a lot of future markets and some other things. And um, right now we just formed a, a product called Snowplow Nation, and it's pretty cool because in the, uh, the snowplow world, um, putting bids on certain places like a Walmart, Sizing up the area, we've, we've cut that downtime. We give uh, round-the-clock weather service. We give post-storm reports, which Dean, as you see here, is a big part of. Dean handles a lot of our post-storm activity and uh, really keeps the, the snowplow guy on top of the storm. And then, then he takes that report from Dean, and then he can put it right onto the customer's uh, invoice for plowing the, the parking lot or so forth. So it's a real uh, niche industry right now, and it's uh, a lot of money in snowplowing. People don't realize it sometimes not so much down on the Carolinas, but further north and up towards the Midwest. And um, we've pretty much grown. We've doubled about every year. And um, my original background, to start with Scotty's intro, was uh, actually um, television. And I was in Philadelphia for numerous years. I've worked in many different markets across the country, in Arizona, Indianapolis, Syracuse, New York, and, and a couple other locations. And um, about four or five years ago, I uh, started uh, taking our website, and it crashed a few times. And it crashed a lot. We had millions and millions of hits coming in for storms. I mean, that many. And um, some of the plow guys in the Philadelphia area had said, hey, listen, we can't get your weather on the website. We love reading your blogs and your model analysis. This is when kind of the models were just sort of coming about. You guys know on the television side that nobody really talked about models 10 years ago or so, even 15. And now it's kind of uh, just used in everyday language when you talk about the different models. And the, the public knows more of about the Euro and the NAM and the GFS and so forth. So we um, had a couple of guys say, hey, can you text us, email us the weather? And we said, yeah. And they said they'd give us a few hundred bucks. And four years ago, we started that. And now we're about 230 companies later doing this. So uh, kind of went from the TV sector to the private sector, if you will, in the sense of that we do weather pretty much for a lot of uh, industries that rely on more than just an app or maybe the local weather guy. And trust me, I've done both sides of the coins, as you guys know, in television. Sometimes you don't have to get as in-depth with weather, like what the snow is going to be on the road versus the grass or salting and stuff. So fun business to be in right now. Um, we go to a lot of trade shows and promote the company, and, and here I am today. So that's kind of a in-the-nutshell story, Scotty and, and the crew, how we got here. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. Love to dig into that uh, here in just a little bit. Dean, I'll, I'll let you uh, kind of talk about how you got involved here with the Weather Pros and, and what your uh, background in weather is. Okay. Um, actually, uh, Dean Davison. Uh, yeah, I uh, got involved. It was kind of weird how I started. I was seven years old. I got involved with the Skyward program in Mount Holly region. Um, my dad saw something in the paper, got involved, went through high school, we had a high technical high school called BCIT, Bronx County Institute of Technology, which no longer has the program, but did environmental studies, which became, which we did meteorology in, got some, those are some of the uh, areas such uh, to do some presentations on weather and got really, really good at it, did a lot of self-study, um, got involved with uh, going to college and stuff, but uh, through uh, courses in Mississippi State and now through Penn State, uh, finishing up. But uh, how I got involved was um, I had met Rob a long time ago, uh, seems like a long time ago, um, and when we had the uh, Delaware, Philadelphia area AMS chapter, prior to that in Fox 29, I got involved with him, but then uh, we started talking, he got involved with the AMS chapter, much did I, he was the president, I was the vice president uh, at one point together, so it was pretty interesting, and the other president I served with was actually my high school instructor. So that all went through, and uh, Rob, Rob asked me if I'd write for him for a while for uh, what was back then, uh, myweatherlive.com, and it changed over uh, from his, from stuff that was he was doing on Fox 29 for when he left there to myweatherlive to robgreeno.com over to what is now liveweatherblogs.com, which has took a couple transformations, and uh, then got involved with the uh, doing the snowplow operations and uh, doing the verifications for people uh, with Rob and the weather pros uh, back when it started, me and Rob, uh, I, I started, as soon as Rob started the company, pretty much was involved with him from day one, so, uh, and our other meteorologist, I think, uh, not to mention him, uh, Garrett Moore, he works with us, uh, another good guy we have on our uh, on our staff that just is phenomenal at forecasting, so that's, that's how kind of how I got started, uh, I have background in the AMS chapters, um, one of the family members of the Blue Ridge uh, chapter of the AMS, uh, with Catherine Prosive, I had given her a lot of information from what I found out um, with the AMS chapter up in uh, Delaware Valley. So, and we're doing the National Weather Association this year. So I'm doing it on the ratios uh, and warning uh, information. So it's it's pretty interesting. It's very keeping me fairly busy, and uh, I like the clients and interacting with them. So, hey Rob, let me ask you a question that you probably get a lot: is uh, busy time during the winter with snowplows and such, but how does your clientele expand and keep you busy during the summer? That's a good question. Uh, what we do now is um, a lot of the clients in the snowplow industry also landscape, uh, about 90% of them, because uh, you know most areas outside of a few companies, which is only maybe 5% of the industry, uh, do landscaping in the summer, then they plow in the winter. You'll see landscapers that do both, and that's about 90%. So a lot of the guys will use our stuff for um, putting a deck on or doing a certain project, putting concrete down, or uh, they do 100 to 200 lawns, uh, you know, in a given day during the week, and we can sometimes reschedule that for them in advance if they're going to go out and do a lot of commercial lawns. Most of the people we have do commercial stuff, uh, some residential driveways in, in the winter and, and lawns, but a lot of our uh, companies are involved. There are two, 300 trucks operations. They're, they're fairly large, and they do, you know, these big landscaping, uh, whether they're complexes uh, as condos or... Um, you know, malls and places like that. So it is quieter in the summer, and that's why we kind of put this snowplow nation together 
because this time of year, believe it or not, guys, they're starting to bid on projects like the Walmarts to say, well, for $50,000, I'll plow the whole thing and salt the whole thing all winter. It's a set price. So these companies go in and bid, and we help them out to project what kind of a winter would be in certain cities. We cover pretty much the whole country outside of the Rocky Mountains and far west. Um, and we tell them, you know, we think La Nina will bring 10% above snowfall or below, depending on what the trends are. And they can sort of put their bid package together based on what they might be using, salt, uh, man hour, how much, how many snow events, which is a bigger deal more than the snow itself is how many times they have to go out. Because you got to remember when they tell somebody, say it's $50,000 for uh, the Walmart for the whole winter and they have to go out a lot of times, that's fuel, that's manpower, that's man hours, they've got to pay people, salt and so forth. So um, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting time of year for us because we, we merged with another company called Snow Control in Albany, New York, and that's what they do. They do a lot of pre-winter stuff. So we're kind of making that off-season now a little more uh, energized, if you will, as far as for the customer, and they get a little more out of our weather package, if that makes sense. So so all of those different layers of weather in their short term and the long term, for you guys from a business sense, that's what will determine ultimately the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of plow guys, like I said, who landscape, uh, in the summer, again, they don't really look at that day-in, day-out showers as much as they do to go look at how much they're going to plow and, and what it's going to cost them. So we, um, we base the customer a lot of times on how big their company is, how many trucks they're using, how many zip codes they plow, and, and that's how we sort of do our pricing. But, uh, yeah, a lot's based on short range when it snows, long range this time of year, and this year prepping them to get more business. We help try to also connect them with property managers and so forth. So we're, uh, we're kind of getting away from uh, a little bit away from the actual forecasting. We're trying to make it a a one-stop shop for all the products, if you will. You come in and you get all these packages together for one price, not just the weather forecast or the post-storm or the slip and falls. When somebody falls, we give them data that whether they were telling the truth or not, uh, lawsuits and stuff. So overall, I mean, we look at this as a year-round uh, you know, company, but as you mentioned in the beginning, most of it goes pretty much from September to about March. What um, you, you're talking about, Rob, your, your I guess, uh, area that you covered is, is very widespread. So do you, uh, I'm assuming it's it's you, Rob, and Jared. I mean, yeah, you, Rob, you, Dean, and Jared. I'm sorry. Got it. And um, do you guys split that up, or is the sole responsibility of you is kind of foretelling the businesses maybe – um, in Kansas or, or Kentucky or that whatever the case may be. Is that your job or are you kind of split up in different regions of you take the southeast, I'll take the Midwest, the Northeast, stuff like that? And we do, we do, Scotty. Actually, it really changes storm by storm. Um, you guys remember the blizzard this year up the east coast that went pretty much from New England down through D.C., which got clobbered with close to 30 inches. Uh, what we'll do with a storm like that is we'll take one person that does the Midwest and Ohio Valley that's uh, lesser impact, and then we'll have two guys cover um, D.C. to maybe Philadelphia, then Philadelphia to Boston. So things get cut up, but it's really by storm how we want to tackle this, um, you know, scheduling. Uh, typically with Dean, too, sometimes we'll put Dean uh, on the front end and then give him a break, and then he's got to do all the post-storm work, and we try to get it out to them in two days because once these guys plow, you know, 20, 30 inches of snow, they want to get that bill out in the mail or online. I mean, they really, they really get on you. They, some of them want it like an hour after the storm, while we're still getting their data. So it, it's very demanding. And, and our, the companies that compete with us, that's one of the things that um, a company will look for. 
So overall, you know, we, we, we basically um, uh, divide this up based on storm by storm. Very cool. So, so Dean, tell us about what you what what you do. I mean, the storm verification. Uh, okay. Talk to us exactly. about about that. It's very interesting, actually, because like Rob said, we go on a different schedule. So sometimes he'll give me like Midwest, so I can. Uh, we have twenty uh, count twenty two different states that we're that we're in, um, with with uh, cities in it that we're doing. So we have to go around and grab uh, the data whether it be me going through a radar and actually finding information because we can't find them on the, uh, the PNSs in the weather service. We got Coco Ross. Uh, I, I tread through there. I find all my data points in multiple locations and then uh, it's a triple verification and at the end of the day I put out that information. We'll try to do it within 24 hours uh, if, it's a, if it can be done. I usually am getting it out within 12 to 24 hours of the storm. Uh, based on data, a big blizzard, that can be a little difficult. Um, but I always have backup plans. I always can uh, look at the radar and the rates of snowfall to, to, to do a verification that way, too. So it, it's a very interesting way of doing things. So basically, correct me if I'm wrong here, you're, you're looking through all the different reports, uh, maybe through Kokoros and, and the... LSRs and stuff like that, and then you document it and give it to the company. Say, hey, it snowed four or five inches in this storm in your area, and, and things. Uh, let's put it this way: if you have an area that says, okay, there's an area that says, uh, we'll say Worcester, Massachusetts. You got one area says 7.2 and one says 3.5. Well, obviously, there's a big distinction there. <laughs> and what we'll go, I'll do is take the radar and I'll analyze radar, radar product post storm. I'll also look at Cocoa Ross to see if there's actual spotters within Cocoa Ross that have information in that distinct area because Cocoa Ross is a very close um, location to location versus, say, um, an LSR that a, a weather spotter takes. Some might not be a great, uh, may not know how to measure snow properly in certain situations. So it, it always falls back on verifying it with radar and verifying it with multiple points of data. Very cool. Very cool. And then I perform a report, and uh, we'll then send it out to the uh, snowplow company itself. And so, Todd, I mean, I don't want you to give away all your information and all that, but how, what, what do you, the snowplow companies, are they looking at so many inches you get pay, or I mean, how is how's that process work? Um, the, the the snowplow companies will say to you, well, if you own that uh, that that. 7-Eleven, just for example, or a Walmart, and we come out and we plow under two inches, we charge a certain amount. Then we charge if we go from two to four inches. So it isn't exactly by an inch, and it really varies client by client. And, and across the country, uh, typically in the southern states, like where you guys are, it, it is basically either by the hour, by the inch, or by the push even, how many times you push that snow. You might only come out once. If it's a bigger storm, you might come out at the beginning and the end. So it really varies. Once you get to the northern states, and particularly where I am in Syracuse, the lake effect, where we get 125 every year on an annual basis. <laughs> Which uh, I'm jealous of, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we, we get hammered up here. It, there's no doubt. We had a we had a, our third lowest year ever this year at 77 inches, and everybody was like, ah, oh, it's easy, easy. <laughs> but, um, you know, places that are near the lakes, uh, Cleveland, Erie, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, uh, places like that, even Chicago to a little bit of a degree, um, basically, what happens is you're um, you're going to play a flat rate. There really isn't by the inch, because obviously 100 inches it's hard to gauge. 
So places like that would say, okay, for $10,000, I will plow your 7-Eleven lot, and then they base on how many times they think they're going to go out and salt, and they, they put that into their profit and loss. But uh, most places in major the cities, uh, the, the Charlottes, the Washington, D.C.s, the Richmonds, all the way up the coast of Boston, it is by the inch, and they're increments usually. And there might be a cap even, so a blizzard that might be 15 inches, once you hit above that, then the increments get larger. So so people aren't paying, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars for a blizzard that, that breaks their budget. So it really varies um, coast to coast, uh, particularly north versus south. I should say more than coast to coast. And I think the bigger thing, and guys, I'm just moving to get my uh, computer plugged in here. So hang with me. I don't want to lose the battery. I think the bigger thing um, is now we we tell plow companies and we consult them that they need a little more of a diverse uh, background, as in um, they should do more companies or more customers that have not only by the inch but a flat rate. And we tell that more now because if you have a big winter, particularly, uh, like last year is a real good example. There were a lot of places like Philadelphia and Washington that went over their average by maybe four or five inches, but it really wasn't what the plow guy wanted. He got one big storm and then he had a couple of little ones and that was it. So that's not a good year from them. Uh, a plow company loves to see a two, three, four, five inch storm repetitively. So the more times they can come out and they pre-salt and then they salt afterwards and then they plow, the more money they can charge the customers because it's more times that they've come out and then in those increments. So to a plow company, the big companies are great, but a lot of times those big storms, I mean the big storms are great, but a lot of times those big storms can really damage the equipment. Some of it has a hard time moving. Even they have to go out and get front-end loaders and they have to rent these. And that's when we come in consulting-wise. If we can take the euro or model like the GFS and say, hey, 10 days out, there's going to be a big storm. We did that with the blizzard. Some of these guys get to those rentals before the other guys do, and it becomes a game. It really does because now they've got the front-end litters to do these bigger jobs, and the other guys say, well, I don't have that type of equipment to get that blizzard out in a timely fashion. You know, I've got my smaller stuff, and we're involved very much with the plow makers, the, the bosses, the western. These guys make the actual blades, the plows, and the salters. So we're doing a lot of sponsorship with them, and we're very closely work with them in, in uh, partnership with them, with uh, the, the, the contractors, the snow contractors. So it's a, it's a real fickle industry because these guys live and die by the snow. I mean, you know, you're talking about a winter that can make a difference for an average company of almost two three $300,000 in, in gross profit. And that's a small company. There are a lot of companies do over a million dollars in plowing. And, and when you have a bad year, that really hits them hard, you know, and, 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 it help, and it hurts our service to a degree because then the next year they may not want to sign up for it and say, well, I'll just take my chances and use the weather service. Uh, so sometimes to us, it's it's a luxury item to some people. Some people, you know, the way we text the format, they, they, they live and die by our forecast. So uh, it's an interesting industry. That's how I'll put it. And, Scotty, I'm just going to jump in for one second uh, and continue our conversation in just a moment, 8.32 for our live viewers, and we have some new severe thunderstorm warnings that I just want to pop up on your screen, and they're actually not even up on my radar scope just yet, so I'll go ahead and draw them in. But everyone from the uh, the high country, from the Virginia line in North Carolina, Avery County, and then down towards Boone and down towards Asheville, this is all under a uh, severe thunderstorm warning here, uh, until about 9.15, and the, uh, the discussion and the thought on this is because of the 
uh, the damage that this line of storms uh, left behind in Tennessee as it came across the mountain. The big question, as we were talking about at the top of the show, is whether or not the terrain will kind of rip those storms apart. And so that will uh, kind of be the big question here. But uh, the National Weather Service uh, going ahead and issuing those severe thunderstorm warnings kind of as a precaution. Just wanted to throw that in here as we're continuing to track uh, some of those storms. Rob, you were talking about some of the, the, the gear and equipment uh, that your clients use. And, and I'm curious to know uh, or just have uh, you share any of your insights. When you get into some of these really brutal winters, what's it like trying to secure the sand and the salt itself? Uh, I, you know, going back to salt, that's a that's an interesting point because right now the pricing, a lot of salt comes from overseas. The pricing is being sort of put together now from these big kind of oil tanker type of uh, ships that come over with this salt. So a lot of guys now are trying to get pricing on it, and the salting and sand becomes a big issue. As you probably heard, <coughs> it was pretty much um, it was pretty much mainstream news about two years ago where the salt ran out in a lot of places because the Midwest and East both got hit with big winters, multiple consecutive storms in a row. It's not one storm that'll do it. It's all those ones we talked about in many locations that causes a shortage in salt. And people say, well, you can't just go get some more. It takes six weeks for a, a big salt tanker boat to come over from the Middle East or wherever the salt's coming from. It's usually overseas. So you, sometimes you can't gauge that. You know, you go into a winter, and by the time you're in the middle of that winter, the six weeks by the time it gets here, it's, it's March or April. It's over. So that's why you have a shortage, and um, guys don't like using too much. Guys don't like stocking too much. That's, that, that takes away from their working capital. So, again, that's another one of those balancing games where we tell them this year, our forecast actually is to think about 10% above or below the average. Now, we also know a lot of guys have salt left over from last year because they didn't have a lot of events. They had one big one and then a lot of smaller ones, and even the Midwest didn't get hit that bad. So a lot of guys have some leftover salt, so we think overall use your leftover salt and then go with the 10% above, and you kind of come out with an average year this year. And that's what we're kind of going with with La Nina as far as what we're consulting our customers. But salt and sand, as you mentioned, is a big deal, especially when it runs low because then it's kind of on the black market and it goes through the roof per ton. They buy it by the ton, and it can be anywhere from uh, you know 100 to 200 dollars a ton, where normally it's 60 dollars. And a ton of salt, you can go through that in a few minutes for some parking lots and some roads. The black market of sand and salt. I've never yeah, actually thought yeah, about that before. It's out there. It's out there. Trust <laughs> me. Black market for everything. Yeah. Uh, and in the name of uh, transparency, I want to uh, correct myself. It does look like those severe thunderstorm warnings do not quite push as far into the North Carolina and into the Blue Ridge as I thought, as Scotty may have noticed when he probably turned around to look at his monitor. So, boom, not yet under a warning, but we will <laughs> wait to see if that comes out. Uh, but we do have some new warnings up on your screen there. So my apologies on that. I, I jumped the gun a little, Scotty. That's okay. I, I think they're coming. I was reading some stuff that GSP was talking about, so... Yeah, I, I, mis I misunderstood what, where they were going to be drawing that, that boundary and drew it in on my radar scope a little prematurely. Um, Dean, a question for you um, okay. from somebody who finds themselves in this position. Somebody might be watching the show kind of thinking that that seems like a line of work I'd like to get into. Uh, your diverse studies, what would you suggest to them uh, to try to increase maybe the classes and the book smart they're, they're taking, but also their community involvement? You had mentioned uh, Skywarn and some other things earlier. Yeah, obviously get involved uh, early. You can get involved early, uh, now at 16 for Skywarn. Uh, I got lucky. I passed a test to get into, now Holly one, which is kind of a, an odd story in itself. Uh, 
to get to have knowledge at seven years old to actually be a spotter at that age. But for doing it for over 20 years, get involved with the spotter programs, get involved with the local AMS chapters, um, go to school, uh, do schooling, whether it's online to start with or whether it's community college, start off there. Go from there, get involved. Um, it's really been a dream, like I said, for me. It's like I've been involved with it, you know, from being a Skywarn spotter now to working with Rob and in a bigger company. And one other thing is always when you're a spotter, you know, reach out to media because media, certain media companies like spotters and they like data. Uh, say WDBJ and WFXR, the Fox station and ABC 13 station here in Roanoke, they're very good about uh, wanting to get information from from spotters and from people. So every time there's a storm, pretty much, when I'm not doing this line of work, uh, I'm actually out there taking photos or uh, getting weather information for the weather service and for the media companies that I mentioned uh, and tweeting them the information or whatnot and a lot of stuff. My name will be on uh, Fox Station three to four times a week sometimes uh, just for uh, basic stuff. They, it's all about trust. So, you know, once somebody trusts you with their weather, that's when you, you gain a following. And, and through live weather blogs, uh, you know, get involved with the weather parades. It's just been great. I mean, I've, I've had a great time so far doing it. And it's just, it's a, good, it's a good company. And uh, Rob gave me the opportunity, which, you know, he used in the, the TV world also. So, I mean, take every opportunity you can get. Dean, do you sometimes use social media when you're doing those triple verifications of your storm reports? Um, I don't lean on social media as much as um, because there's a lot of people that do not know how to accurately read snow. Um, I will look at them. I will take them and, and consult consult the different areas. I'll ask them where they took it from if I see their you know on social media. But I, I can tell usually if the person knows what they're doing or not if I contact them. Uh, usually it's good to get them from spotters, but I mean basic citizens are our help also, but you have to know, like, in a, when you sleet changeover, how to measure snow also, and that's a very difficult uh, thing to do unless you're properly properly trained on how to do it and know how to do it, so I do use social media a lot, yes. Uh, information. Well, this brings, since we're talking of social media, I want to pose this to both of you guys, because I'm sure you probably run into it as much as uh, David and James and myself. Is now that weather models are so um, visible and, and they're so likely that anybody can now look at a weather model and can see the 10-day uh, GFS superstorm of 2029 with 65 inches of snow in a certain location. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I'm exaggerating, yeah. but you know what I'm talking about. So, do you run into that with your companies? They more trust uh, maybe what? the screenshot of what one weather model is saying at one particular time. Uh, do you run into, well, this is not what my app says. Talk a little bit about how you have to, as we know in the weather enterprise, you can't trust what your app says. We call them crap apps. But how do you relay that to the people that you guys do business with from day in and day out? I know one in particular I that. I um, think you. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, you can jump in after it. I, I think uh, the, the biggest thing with uh, weather models is we, we probably get more uh, feedback that, that 
Joe Public knows more than the average weather guy or, or the TV meteorologist. On the public side, then we do the private. A lot of times when a snowplow company uh, goes with our service, uh, we'll put that right on the text. We'll put the model data and what it says. They get very busy right before the storm preparing. So they don't look at them as much. They don't have as much time to look at them. But um, basically what happens is at, at that point, uh, they'll go by what we say. But uh, I'm sure in the TV world, as most of you guys know over there in the TV world, uh, everybody's their own forecaster. Everybody can make the call. But we tell them as far as the apps to our personal clients uh, that they absolutely look at one model a lot of times and it's delayed or it's off. Uh, we all know in the weather world, one piece of information that's wrong, corrupt, or didn't go in right in the database, it throws the whole forecast off uh, in a particular area, and then, it, you know, longer range, it throws it way off. So, you know, the skill of a forecaster is always going to be needed, a meteorologist, because you have to look at trends. As we all know, you have to look at modeling and how models have weaknesses and biases to things. And I think that human skill set uh, will not go away for a long time because I don't think models anytime soon are going to be 100% accurate, and each one of them has its own, again, bias to things. So I think in, in, from our perspective, our private clients aren't as bad as the public. That's how I kind of view it. I think there are a lot of people on the Facebook pages that uh, can call the storm. The problem is when you call for a gigantic storm and it doesn't happen and you're on Facebook, you're not held accountable like a TV meteorologist uh, who is talking to potentially thousands and millions of people. So uh, from the TV world that I've done, um, there are a lot of people on Facebook and other social medias that I, I think um, they don't care if they're wrong. They don't care if they go with this rogue forecast because they're not accountable to the news director or the public. So I think from the, the public side, you have to look at everything and understand how it all works. From the private side, most of our private clients are, are pretty good with it. They, they understand that we have a skill set to that, and they get very busy before a storm. So the last thing they're looking at is, is trying to go over models and decode the NAM when it comes in or the GFS. And we do that for them in the text alerts that we send them. We keep it, you know, layman's terms enough to give them some knowledge and some model lingo, but we'll keep it enough that they understand how it's trending and what might be the, the outlier model of the Euro might say 12 and the GFS might say 4. And we say, well, this is kind of the wide range, but we think we're honing in on this couple of inches. And they base their equipment and their manpower on that. So uh, to, to, to put it in conclusion, I think the public we get more heat from than we do on the private side. And Dean's probably got a story to relate to that. Oh, yeah. Uh, we do have one one or two guys that uh, <laughs> will talk about the apps and call me at 2 o'clock in the morning for an update. But... I mean, you know, that's part of part of what we're in there for. We're 24-hour on-call, so we do take the call at two o'clock in the morning from this this uh, client, and and every time that every time that something changes in the model, he's he like skeptical of it, but he trusts us pretty well. And then I have another, I have a client in Roanoke who trusts us over the media and any kind of app any day of the week. They'll tell you that. Uh, uh, he, he always trusts what we have to say, and you know it's all about trust. If they can trust you, they're gonna they're gonna do that. Social media version, yeah. Uh, social media gets a little hot when we when we call for a storm, and there's a lot of people out there. No, it ain't gonna happen. Um, this is not gonna happen. And then we're when we're right, they they all go away. You don't see their comments much anymore. But unfortunately, um, there's those people that are out there that put out bad stuff also that in social media, and we stay away from that. The hype uh, that people put out there these forecasts that have 35 inches on one model run. If we're going to discuss a model run, 
uh, through an audio blog. I'm going to discuss with you why, what that, why that's occurring, and what's going on there, and and tell you it's one model run, and this is not likely what's going to happen. And so we do audio blogs and uh and text blogs for live weather blogs and for the Facebook page um, that we have. And it, basically, it, it can get rough. People people can get on top of you if you miss it by a few inches, even if it's a good storm. But uh. I would say the Philadelphia area is definitely the area with the most uh, people that will get on you. It's a very weather diverse area up there. Uh, growing up in Tabernacle and in Burlington County, and before I moved here to Vinton, East Roanoke, I can tell you, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, those people, they love their weather. So, yeah. let's hear. Let's hear the, go ahead, David. Oh, I was going to say it's like you guys are talking about audio blogs, social media, and everything else like that. So, what's a what's a typical day for you guys like? Say leading up to a storm. Like, say you're three, four days out from the storm. What all are you guys providing for your clients, doing for your clients to kind of get them ready for the uh, impending snowstorm, ice storm, whatever else? I think you know when you, you look at our clients, uh, about five days out is when we really take a harder look at storms. You know, ten days out, we'll we'll kind of look at that euro and GFS and, and, and give them little hints of a more of a time frame. Uh, you know, this this Thursday and Friday, ten days out will be the window we're looking at because when it's ten days out and fourteen days out, and we can start to see a possibility of a storm. You got to remember, a lot of these plow companies hire people part time in the winter. Some young guys, some of them still in college, high school, uh, moving trucks or, or using, sh you know, shovels and shoveling snow. Uh, there's hundreds of them, particularly in a company, and they have to let them know, hey, look, there's going to be a storm on the weekend. Maybe not this one, but the next one. You may not want to go out of town, or you may not want to plan this. We're going to need you around because, again, a lot of people are part time in the winter that. Uh, snow contractors will hire. So what happens is for us five days out, when we get a little closer, we start to increase our updates. Uh, typically five to ten days out, there may be one to two a day, and then we'll get up to three a day, maybe even four when we're getting just a couple of days out. And in that time frame, we'll start to hone in the exact start time. Do you pre-salt? What, what are the road temperatures going to be like? We have access to data. Uh, you know, is it going to stick in the grass but not on the roads? You know, they see the TV guys as, you know, we've been in the TV world, you say two to four, that typically is what can happen on the grass. You're not sitting there going to say on the air, two to four on the grass and one to two on roads and highways. You know, we don't have enough time. It's in the TV world, as you know, yeah. you know, three minutes becomes two and, you know, we got breaking news and all that <laughs> stuff. So, so I get it from the TV world and I understand what, what, what goes on on that side and I have a lot of respect still in the TV world and I do some freelance. But, uh, you know, we can spend a little more time in a particular zip code or area because that's what they're paying us for. We don't have to worry about time cues and, and, and shows and stuff. So, so what we do for a customer, you know, a couple days out is get really, really technical in, in start times for that area, particularly north and west of the big cities. There's always a little more snow versus south and east because of the little bit of elevation and ocean influence in the mid-Atlantic and south and even up to Boston to a degree. So that's what we do. About two days out, we really get fine-tuned to start and end times, how much, uh, when's the peak of the storm. That's a big, important thing for them. Are they going to be pushing snow in rush hour? You know, we also do highway departments. We don't just have private guys that do Walmart. So we have townships that pay us in Philadelphia and Boston and New England and, and down south in, in Virginia. Uh, and they'll say to us, you know, are we going to be pushing snow in our trucks in the middle of rush hour? 
uh, we need to make a better plan. Maybe we go out sooner. Maybe we pre-salt. Maybe we don't. So, you know, VDOT and places like that, they base their decisions on private weather companies and these start times and pre-salting. So that, in a nutshell, is kind of what we do. It, it gets pretty crazy. And believe it or not, it's harder before the storm than during it because once the storm starts, it's kind of like you can sit back and the guys are out plowing and salting and all they want to know is when it's going to end at that point. That's all they want to know, and they're ready to be done and go to bed and get it wrapped up and build a customer. Or, in a case of a township, get it cleaned up, and then they get a break with their shifts. So um, I think, to me, the two days before a storm is like the Super Bowl hype. And the Super Bowl itself for us actually isn't as bad as before the storm, you know, in our world as far as a private company. So... Do you uh, get the butterflies in your stomach right before the storm, the night before the storm, and you're like, did I make the right call? Are my accumulations right on fact? Because that's what we feel every winter storm, especially in the Carolinas, where just the little <laughs> inch of degree goes from freezing rain to snow here. But, I mean, do you guys do you get those butterflies when, when that storm's about to hit? Like, man, I, I hope I hope it hits it right on the head. I. I I think uh, when I was in the TV world, it was interesting. I, I don't know if it was the butterflies as much as excitement. I think you start in your career with butterflies, then it becomes the time for excitement. I think um, in the um, in the TV world, I'm going to move around, guys, a little bit. Uh, in the TV world, you might see my kids in the background. They're trying to get on, <laughs> as usual, little hams they are. I think in the TV world, uh, what happens is, you know, you have this large audience getting ready for a storm, and uh, you, you naturally want to get it right. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you know, your, your boss expects that and so forth. But um, the TV world's different than the private world. And, and, you know, as a TV meteorologist, we got their front and center sitting over there. You'll, you'll know it. And, uh, you know, everybody says, oh, you guys have a collaboration with the supermarkets, the bread, milk, and eggs, or as they call it, the French Toast Fest. You know, we don't. You know, we just want to give you what we see there and, and, I, you know, this is an interesting thing, and I'll say this to the public here, and, and I'm sure all the TV guys will back me on this. Our job, really, is if I can tell you three or four days out that your kids might have off from school, and most families have two people working, you know, if they've got to make arrangements on a Friday, and let's face it, a Friday and Monday is a good day to get a day off from school. We know how the school districts work. Uh, we can tell you in advance that you might be changing plans, whether that's babysitters or your job working from home, that's really our job as TV meteorologists to the public is to prepare you. If we're off by a few inches, we're off by a few inches. And if we miss a few, we're going to miss a few. That's what makes weather exciting, and that's why we're all in it. It's still an unknown to it, you know. It's in an exact science. You know, from the private side, as in weather companies, they pay us to be pretty accurate to make our decisions for them when to go out, when to salt, when to clear up, and stuff like that. So um, we kind of both follow the same thing for accuracy, but... Boy, the TV side is different than the private side, I can tell you that. And Rob, that's a perfect transition to my next question, because we get some folks who watch our show who are still studying meteorology and trying to decide which career path they want to go. And obviously, TV weather person is the one that's in the spotlight and in the forefront. But every week, we have folks like yourself who come on, and we explore these other avenues for, for meteorologists, for scientists. And I'm curious, you said you've seen life on both sides of the coin. So uh, your personal life, outside of weather, uh, What's, what's that been like? What's the transition been like? And I'm asking you this question coming from a place of somebody who just six months ago was in weather, uh, in TV, and now I'm out of TV, and I recently <laughs> discovered there is such thing as taking a vacation in May. Yeah, in May, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you lucky you know, bums. Yeah. 
<laughs> forget February if you want to go anywhere skiing. Forget that stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and then, of course, the November book. Um, you know, te- television's great, and, and, and I, I love both sides of it, to be honest with you, but, um, you know, a, t- a television meteorologist, you know, you, you wear many hats today than you didn't wear a few years ago. Today you wear a hat that you're doing all the social stuff, your Twitter, your LinkedIn, your, your, your Facebook. You're constantly updating, and you're much more in touch today with the viewer than you ever have been. And one of the things that makes uh, weather interesting now is it's good and bad. And, and I'm sure, again, we'll get some, you know, TV meteorologists will agree. The good thing is you can talk to your viewers like never before. Now, I've been in this for a long time, and you used to have to either call the station or write a letter. And I didn't get a lot of that, you know, because that required a lot of work back then. But we got a few, and that letter took a few days. Now people can be anybody. You can have any screen in and just haul off on you. You know, you stink, you miss this, and, and that's the downside is people are much more impatient than they've ever been when it comes to weather, in, in my opinion. And I think this goes for many locations throughout the United States. People see the five-day now, or the seven-day, or maybe even the ten, depending on what the TV station puts out on their graphics, and they think that's locked in now. You know, they see that five and seven days out, and they think that's got to be it. If he puts a flake up there, it's going to snow, you know? Not even if he puts a question mark or a percentage. And people are a little more impatient because they expect a higher level of accuracy. And yes, we've gotten better, no doubt about it, with the technology. But it's still not going to be perfect, whether it's Charlotte, whether it's Virginia, whether it's New England, whether it's Chicago. It's all the same. So from the TV side, I think the public's more demanding than ever. From the pub, the, the private side, I think the customers demand accuracy, but they have a certain leeway that they give us because they understand the nature of weather a little more than the public. Public, if we can help you out and make a decision, your kid's going to have off maybe, and you can change plans on a Friday, and I'm telling you this on a Tuesday, I think I've done my job. So uh, both bring in different things, and, and the TV life is interesting because even when you're off camera, everybody wants to talk weather all the time. That's the way it goes. One good thing about now not being on camera is you don't have to worry about people sending you death threats because you cut in during Judge Judy and stuff. You know? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have seen just about everything. We, we've had rocks thrown in our live truck. We've had, we've had uh, all kinds of things. And, you know, sometimes when you work for a station called Fox and people think your political views are basically what the station's views are, and you know what I'm talking about, and uh, it, it gets interesting uh, with the public side. Going out in the in the uh, and Philly was you know it was a four market so we had roughly five six million people watching and boy when that Eagles game came on at halftime and it was a playoff game that's when you got the butterflies because you knew you had three million people watching you for that little weather thirty second update and I remember my 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 mic cracked out once and I was like oh my god what's going on you know right on the air <laughs> like every TV bar in America's wa- or in Philly's watching so uh, TV side's fun but again. Uh, I feel like there's a little less pressure actually on the on the uh, the side of my company because they know what to expect and um, most of the time customers will leave our company if they get out of the business. Not so much they didn't like the weather. So we have a pretty good retention rate of about 97%. So so far we're doing pretty well. Rob, my last question for you as we come up to the nine o'clock hour, and then we'll see if Scotty and David have any any other thoughts. You mentioned a snowflake on the extended forecast. You guys deal a lot with these long-term projections, and there's a certain company out there. I won't name names, but they do a 90-day forecast. Yeah, we know who they are. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I had to ask, since you know this is a little bit of your MO of, of trying to kind of look at things in the long term, is there anything coming down the pipeline technology-wise, whether that be new skills, new observations, new satellites, that you're really looking forward to to kind of help you guys hone those long-term forecasts? And obviously, you guys, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to assume, do a much better job than those other guys. Yeah, well, we try anyway. I, I you know, long-range forecasting is an interesting animal uh, because, um, you know, there's so many variables. And, and the biggest challenge, I think, for a young forecaster, a college forecaster, somebody still in high school watching us that wants to be a meteorologist is there's just an inordinate amount of data to look at. And you can skew it. You can look at it. You can look at El Nino, La Nina. Um, you know, that 90-day, I call it entertainment purposes, you know, stuff like that. Uh, you can take a look at it. And, and I had a guy that uh, does a radio show in Philadelphia that was going to go down to Ocean City, Maryland, and he said, I keep looking at this forecast three weeks out, and they've got rain the whole week and a tropical storm. I said, calling for a tropical storm in July three weeks out is like a needle in a haystack. It's not going to happen. And he kept – he was going to cancel plans, him and his wife, based on this. And I said, don't even go near it. I said – that's so far out, and now they're going to have a week of sunny weather down there in the 80s. You know, so it will change. Uh, I think the 90 days there, because of the competition in the weather.coms and the AccuWeather.coms, and 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 all these bigger companies that are always vying for that viewer's attention for just a few seconds, whether it's through an app, through a website, or through watching the Weather Channel or AccuWeather, which are the two big ones, as we know. Uh, it's all about marketing and getting the eyeballs on your product, whether it's mobile, whether it's TV, or whether it's uh, internet. And, and that 90-day now makes people go, well, you know what, I'm having a wedding in three months, so I'm going to see what it says right now. And, oh, there's a lightning bolt on there, honey. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, I don't think the technology is going to change that much that I see, unless you guys want to chime in in the near future for long range. I think long range is still uh, probably looking at trends more than anything to put something out. So, you know, our company now, we, we know where there's going to be a La Nina. We, we update every month on the uh, Climate Prediction Center and the IPC, and we basically say 73% chance of La Nina. Which one is it going to be? Statistically, there aren't that many La Ninas you can look at. I think there's about seven or eight, actually, over the last uh, 60 or 70 years. What that happened in your hometown? So a place like Springfield, Massachusetts, in those seven winters where there was a Weak La Nina, you got this many inches. Here's the moderate, and that's what you got to go with right now. Is sort of statistical averages in those periods, and, and that's all you can do on the long range at this point, this far out. And with each year, I imagine you guys will have more and more data points. So, hopefully yeah, that, that picture. Ben will Franklin come together. started all. He started it all. Ben Franklin keeping weather records. We got to thank him for that. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, my final question is. Um, one that, uh, what is the toughest area that you have to forecast for? For me, it would have to be the southeast, just because I know how volatile our weather can be. It can be a degree or two, can really throw off a snowfall like uh, forecast or even ice forecast. So for you guys, what, what do you think is the most difficult area that you uh, forecast for? Um, I would say in my company, uh, the lake effect. Without a doubt, we have all the lake effect cities, and I call it, I call it babysitting, uh, because you don't make the money exponentially for what the babysitting is, uh, and and so we're looking at lake effect. And whenever we pick up a client, you know, and as we're a growing company, we, we don't want to ever you know refuse business. Uh, Buffalo, 
Syracuse, Cleveland, Cleveland particularly, we have a lot of customers in Cleveland, uh, very hard places from mile to mile because a guy can either be pushing 12 inches and then the next town over he's pushing partly cloudy skies. I mean, that's how tricky it is. So I would say in the winter lake effect, and in the southeast probably in the summer, Dean handles a lot of our severe weather. The southeast, I would agree with you, is really tough with some of those thunderstorms. And even the tropical moisture off of a hurricane is, is a tough call sometimes. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I totally forgot about, well, for, for us, we don't have to worry about lake effect snow, but we've had a few <laughs> shows. We've had a few shows on, on here about lake effect snow, and that is you go 20 miles and have the difference in a foot of snow. So It happens here at all time in my house. I get... I had a storm this year. We had 13 inches of snow. I can see the downtown buildings from my house. They had three, and my friend up in Baldwinsville had 22. They were four miles off. Wow. So in the course of four miles to my north and west, they had 22. I had 13, and then two, three miles to my southeast, they had four. And you go through it, and you see it. it it's, it's pretty amazing to come up here one time and see it. Because it snows like it, you've never seen it. It's a different snow, too. It's very, like, jiffy-pop. Very light because it presses very quickly. So a, a foot of snow here tomorrow, it could be down to three inches because all the air suppresses in that snow. So it's a different kind of snow than a nor'easter. So James and uh, David, I think that was an invite that we can come up there in the wintertime <laughs> yeah. and experience uh, the snowfall. So I'll ready. tell you what. I'll tell you hey, what. We'll, we'll do we'll do an ACC game at the Dome, Carolina <laughs> or Duke. How's that sound? That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, that would be a fun yeah. get-together. That would be a good Or, or be Florida a State. Or Florida State. Yeah, they're up here for football this year. And, uh, they are. That one. Yeah, they're up here. Florida State grad? Yep. Uh, yeah, the Knowles are up here this year, and uh, we got Notre Dame on our schedule. we got a pretty tough schedule this year for football I, team. I miss a good snowstorm. I've been down south uh, a couple years now, originally from New York, and the thing that always gets me down here is the forecasting always becomes who's going to have two inches, who's going to have three inches, who's going to have four inches. And, like, down, <laughs> and James, and James, you can testify for this. Down here, if you don't, if you forecast three inches and you don't give them three inches, they only get two. There's, I mean, I mean, they're throwing stones at you. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, best yeah. meteorologists in the world. We've got a margin of error here. Up in New York, it's this is zero to six. This is six to twelve. Yeah, this, <laughs> yeah. Know, we're, we're, two, three, they, four. The plows up here do three lanes in a shot. It's like a wing comes out. I've never seen plowing up here. Uh, my kids got upset because they had twelve inches of lake effect at two in the morning, and they go to school on time the next day. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, we got a foot of snow here. And the kids are waiting at the bus stop like nothing happened. Rob, <laughs> Rob, we were closed for a week this past winter. I'm not kidding you. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't hey. put my fingers close enough together. Yeah, James, let me tell you, there's only one place I think that's even worse than the Southwest, and I worked in New Mexico and Arizona. And on occasion, Tucson, where I was, in Albuquerque, which is the high desert, they'll get snow there. They will close a day before for a half inch, and because it's so sunny down there in, the, in their lower latitude, that stuff is melted in an hour in the morning. But they'll close for two days for the fact that they're going to get a quarter inch of snow, and it's gone in an hour. I, I, was, I couldn't even believe it. And I remember the first day I was on the air and I was in New Mexico, and, and, I, and I said, you know, we're going to go out now to uh, Dominic up in the foothills with the plows. I get a text from my news director, we have no plows. <laughs> I just remember seeing it on my phone. I said, all right, we're, we're not going to the plows. We, we don't have any. 
I will idea. say, I will say when I moved to Charlotte, I was glad they had at least a couple plows because, as David will testify, I never saw a plow the entire time we were in Columbus, Georgia together. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he saw he, sand he, trucks. That's about yeah. it. <laughs> sand truck was a pickup truck and a guy in the back with a shovel. Yeah, <laughs> old school, going old school on you. Yeah. Uh, and Dean, do you have a, a, a forecast area that just really irritates you? You just it's very hard to, uh, to like Rob said. Uh, that that uh, lake effect is a pain in the butt. But uh, to get into the southeast, I mean, this area in Roanoke can be difficult with the ice versus snow uh, very easily. And uh, for having, especially this one client, I, we have a year-round client in Roanoke and some other clients. It gets to, it can get difficult. It gets froggy on looking at models because. One model run will be ice. The temperature raises a little bit in upper levels, and things change. And you got to be on top of it. But it it, it can be difficult around here. Uh, um, I'm sure he'll uh, they'll talk about Charlottesville. I mean, that's I mean this this area can be difficult down here in Roanoke area, but not as difficult as just the lake effect. Uh, oh, even the, the Chicago lake, lake effect that's a pain yeah. in the butt. Dean Dean tried to bribe me with a, a bottle of vodka once, not to have to do the lake effect forecast. <laughs> Every time I put him on Lake Effect duty, he gave me the uh, no, Rob, no, I'll do anything. I'll I'll send you beer. I'll send you anything, you know. But uh, yeah, when we when we're on Lake Effect, we know what kind of forecasting. Uh, uh, and we we actually were talking to um, for a while. We we haven't signed him on as um, I don't know if remember some of the older guys from the Weather Channel. Uh, Tom Moore was from Rome, New York, near Syracuse, and he's wanted to do some work with us. And he's kind of a, one of the original guys on the Weather Channel, but. Tom was a big lake effect guy, and he, he wants to do it. So if we're going to talk to him and maybe say, here's your piece of weather every winter. You can handle all the lake effect cities, and uh, there you go. Because that, it's, it's, it's a whole different ballgame with the lake effect. Well, definitely. Well, guys, uh, we're closing in a little bit past 9 o'clock. Um, definitely want to give you a chance to do your social media uh, handle or Twitter handles and Facebook. But also would like to extend an invite to you maybe uh, – maybe towards the end of September, maybe early October, kind of have you guys on and talk to us about what your expectations are for, for the upcoming winter. We always like to do several shows about that going into the wintertime, so we'd love to have you guys back on maybe and, and talk about the winter outlook uh, as we get closer to winter. I'll be honored, Scott. I'd love to be on the show again. That'd be great to talk winter stuff. Uh, I think at that point, though, we'd probably be sitting in some pretty active hurricane weather from the way it looks uh, so far. So maybe we're going to be talking about a couple things come September and October. Uh, not just winter, but um, we uh, we do a lot with Facebook, uh, liveweatherblogs.com. The, the weatherpros.com is for private clients to sign up for a free trial. It's one of the things we do for customers. We give them 14 days for free, so they get used to that text coming in with graphics, and they like it coming right to the phone. But um, Live Weather Blogs and our new uh, site is thewinterforecast.com. has uh, going to have 400 cities with winter outlooks related to La Nina, and each one of those has the most historic tourism storm for that town, average, what was last year and what we're predicting this year, so you get all four pieces, and um, we'll pretty much cover a lot of cities. I know last year we did about 350, so we'll get a lot of Carolina and um, southeast cities covered in there, even if it's only a couple inches. I think we cover about 12 cities in Georgia, as it is, so uh, yeah, even, if it's just, even if it's just that much, we'll cover you. <laughs> cool. All right, and Dean, do you, guys, uh, do you guys have Twitter handles or anything that you'd like uh, to share? I know Rob has a Twitter handle. Uh, my personal Twitter handle is at DDDLWB. Uh, but I, I will answer questions there. Uh, but mainly we'll send people to our Facebook page, which is uh, Live Weather Blogs. Uh, 
Facebook.com backslant live weather blogs, and uh, you can uh, go there. Come up to the, come up to the webpage and uh, sign on. Uh, we do our stuff, and and I'll do uh, audio blogs on the on the uh, Facebook page. So very cool. And I'll have you, if you don't mind, maybe uh, you can send me in a message, and, and we'll definitely link your websites and stuff up on our Facebook Absolutely. page. So. Mine is Rob Garino 2009, and I'll send you that too, Scotty. I'll get into the information. So, uh, yeah, good show. I, I got my two uh, teenage kids over here trying to. You want to put your faces in here for a minute? No, they ran away. See that? <laughs> they're, they're putting their hands in, and the minute I ask them, they both run upstairs. <laughs> so. All right, well, guys, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on tonight, awesome. and uh, we look forward to having you back on uh, sometime later down the road. Sounds Pleasure, good. Scotty. Thanks a lot. Good show. Thanks so much. All right, James, I, I know you got the radar screen up. We'll, uh, we'll kind of talk about that before we uh, sign off tonight. Yeah, uh, about eight minutes past the hour now, and we're watching uh, some of those thunderstorms that are making their way across the Blue Ridge Mountains, expecting uh, a thunderstorm here to roll into Boone in the next few minutes, but the National Weather Service telling us they have not received any further reports of damage with these storms. They were getting some reports of these uh damage uh, related to the thunderstorms as the thunderstorms are rolling across Tennessee, but for the most part, the storm's kind of falling apart here once they hit the higher terrain, so we're not expecting those severe thunderstorm warnings to uh, be extended. Uh, you will notice some rain, probably some lightning here in Boone in the next little bit. Uh, Scotty, you might see some rain down in your neck of the woods as well, but actually the the strongest storms right now we're seeing, I would argue, are uh, in the uh, northern mountains of Georgia as you make your way across yeah. that section of the Tennessee border, and that's probably where where we will see uh, a lot of the southeast action tonight. Uh, but, of course, the big takeaway, the big weather story, I think, will be up in the portions of Midwest where they're continuing now uh, tracking uh, some tornado warnings there. Yeah, yeah definitely. Our friends uh, just north of Atlanta, probably a stormy night in store. And uh, I was looking, there's a, one cell that's going into the upstate of South Carolina towards Chesney and Gaffney. Uh, it's kind of gaining a little bit of strength as it goes into the upstate of South Carolina. So... Uh, watch that so but like you said uh, we'll watch these storms come in tonight uh, we can always use the rain we're definitely uh, in need of that so uh, we'll take that and, and speaking of uh, next uh, let's talk about next week we're going to be having the weather junkies on with us uh, kind of back-to-back -back show uh, weather junkies is another uh, private group that does some um, I guess broadcasting kind of like we do uh, up there uh, in Connecticut and Colorado, so they're going to be joining us next week for a joint show. Uh, no real topic to talk about. We're just going to have a, like an open mic night, an open forum, talk about uh, different things in the weather enterprise. So we definitely uh, encourage everyone to watch, and uh, we'll see uh, how that show turns out. Looking forward to it, and you know how we are. We like to uh, we like to ramble on about weather, so I'm sure we'll find something to talk about. Speaking of rambling, one last question. David, how was your cupcake? Did it go okay? Because I saw this tweet just past 8 o'clock. Oh, yeah, it was delicious. It was, it's uh, one of the main anchor's birthdays today, and he came in here just after we started. He's like, hey, there's a couple cupcakes left in the newsroom. And if you guys have worked in TV, you know if you hear cupcakes, newsroom, yeah. it's not going to last more than about two minutes. So that's yeah. why I immediately got and up. Usually and usually the weather center is not that close to the newsroom. So you got to run over there because the weather center is usually far away, usually in the studio, kind of where you're at. So it's like you got to go in there quick. I mean, people eat cardboard in there if they could. Oh yeah. If it's the free, yeah, they funny thing is, The funny thing is, there's still a couple bags of apples from late last week, and there's still like three or four apples 
left over, but yet if there's like pizza or whatever, it's yeah. gone in five That's minutes. That's nutritious, man. Minutes. Why would they bother with that? That would oh, be yeah. nutritional. Right? They don't want to deal with that stuff. No, never. <laughs> They'll probably sit there the rest of the summer. <laughs> Just like the apples that and the oranges kitchen. and master control. Throw some caramel on it, and it's gone in five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Well, we all hope you have a great week. Uh, stay cool. It does look like we have a big warm-up in store for the next yeah. uh, few days. So stay cool out there, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great weekend, and we look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks.